0: All right, read with me this morning from God's Word, Matthew eight, eighteen through 22. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, "Follow me, and allow the dead to bury their own dead." Can you think of somebody who uh, who wound up being much different than your first impression? You think of anybody like that? Some of you are married to that person, I think. But you think of anybody that you know? You met them, and then you were very you were surprised by them. Here's who this. Question makes me think of it's a weird kind of surprise, but I'll tell you where my brain is lately. Um, it was a guy named Shelby Walton. Uh, my first year of college, the basketball team all reported on the same day. We helped everybody move into their dorm room, and we went over to the gym to play pickup basketball for the first time. And Shelby, Shelby was little, he was a little guy. Shelby always said he was 5'10, Shelby was always lying. He was 5'8 and some change. And this little guy would go over to, uh, to play. He wasn't even a point guard. So he was going to play on the wing at 5'8, which I thought was a little weird. And then we go, we go play, and, and he's posting up in this pickup game. And I was like, this means he's down low. And you have to understand, I was undersized as a post player in college at 6'5. I was a little guy. And so here's a little, little guy. And I kind of thought, oh, isn't that so cute? You know, a little guy, and a play with the big boys. Until his brother, who was our point guard, I had the ball up top. And as, as Shelby spins off his man and takes two steps, his brother just throws the ball toward the goal. Shelby spins off, takes two steps, jumps up, grabs the ball in the air, and dunks it behind his head and hangs on the rim looking at us mere mortals, you know. And I immediately went back and packed my car up and moved out of college. I was like that's it i don 't know where I am, but this is I am not in north central Kansas anymore." Uh, I was surprised. my first impression um, was was incorrect. Now, Jesus never played basketball i don 't think I think they found the archaeologists found some high top sandals by the traditional tomb, but uh, that's I don't know. What do you make of that? I don't think he ever played basketball. But Jesus was always surprising people. Jesus was never quite what people thought he would be. If, if people met him, you know, we've, we've mentioned several times there was nothing to draw people to him physically. He they, they didn't, they didn't look special. If anybody figured out that he was the promised king, they were surprised to learn he didn't have any interest in leading an army. He didn't want to defeat the Romans. If they found out and realized he had this great power, they were surprised to see him just act like a servant. He was never what people anticipated, expected, and a lot of times even liked And today, the surprise that Jesus has for us in that passage that Sam just read has to do with with how Jesus responds to sort of lifting his eyes up and noticing that suddenly there's a huge crowd that's been attracted to him. The way he responds to this crowd, and especially a couple of men who get out of that crowd and come ask him to sign up, is very surprising. The surprise starts right away, and I think as a first time reader, this was is supposed to shock us a little bit. Jesus says in verse 18, Jesus saw this large crowd around him, and he tells his disciples, Let's go to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. If we were on Jesus' like advisory council, elder board, as if he needed one of those, I'm not sure this is what we would have. Advised, right? I think we would say at this point, whoa, "Whoa, Jesus! Like you're a hit, man! Look at all these people! We got to strike while the iron's hot. We got momentum." Jesus, no, we're we're leaving. And then two men step out of that crowd before they can load the boats, and basically say, "Take me with you. I want to go with you. I want to. Where do I sign up? I want to be a part of this Jesus movement." And Jesus responds in a way that at, at the very least seems frank. But it might seem harsh or rude or maybe even a little bit mean. If we were advising Jesus, I think we would want to tell him you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like this isn't, you, this isn't how you attract people. But Jesus is always surprising. And and today, Jesus doesn't want to sugarcoat anything. He's not not running a political campaign where he makes a bunch of promises and I'll see if he can keep them later. Jesus wants these people to know the the invitation is there. Clear to the end of the passage if you look at it. Jesus tells the last guy, follow me. But let the dead bury their own dead. So the, the invitation is still there. But he, he wants these people to know what they're getting into. What they're signing up for. Over the last three weeks, we've seen ample evidence that Jesus will accept anybody. You know, a leper comes and Jesus touches the leper. Because you're, you're not too dirty, you're not too yucky, you're not too outcast, you're not too forgotten for Jesus. Jesus. And last week, we saw that nobody's insignificant. You're important enough to Jesus. He will take and accept and invite anybody. But there's a huge crowd that's been attracted to Jesus because Jesus has been doing stuff for people they've always wanted done. He's healing people. He's doing miracles for people. And Jesus doesn't want people to get the wrong idea. If you're coming to follow me because you think I will get for you what you've always wanted, I, I need to make sure that's not the message I'm sending. So he, he's just going to be real frank and curt and short. And we're going to see something I think is important, some, a few lessons that I think is important for us to remember so before they get in the boat to go to the other side of the lake the first guy that approaches with a desire to follow Jesus we're told he's a scribe this is in verses 19 and 20 the translation I have on the screen here the, the net Bible translates that an expert in the law and I put that on there because that's a a scribe to us sounds like a copyist like a human you know Xerox machine and the scribes were more than that. They were like more like a, a lawyer, an Old Testament lawyer. They knew the old, what we call the Old Testament very, very well. If you know the Gospels, you know that eventually, very soon, the scribes won't be Jesus' supporters at all. The scribes and Pharisees will be, will be his opponents. And as he addresses Jesus, if you're, if you're a Bible underliner or, or note-taker might underline that word teacher and pay attention to how who addresses Jesus that way in the in the gospel of Matthew. Teacher is a respectful term in 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 this culture. It's good, it's respectful to think that Jesus is a good teacher, but if you pay attention in Matthew, nobody that only calls him teacher is a real disciple. Jesus was a good teacher. But that's not enough to think that Jesus was a good teacher because he's much more than that. So this guy comes and he says, teacher, and he gives no strings attached um, request to follow. Look at what he says. I'll follow you wherever you go. I will leave my old life And I will follow you wherever you go. And if we were there, if we were part of Jesus' crew, I think we would be like, Jesus, this is awesome. A scribe? This is going to be, this is our inroad into the religious hierarchy of Israel. Scribes run the synagogues, basically. We would have expected Jesus to welcome this guy, but he says. Foxes have dens, and the birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Here's what Jesus is saying. Will you really follow me wherever I go? I want you to know what you're signing up for. Because I'm going to be itinerantly homeless. Like even foxes and birds have one place where they go to at night. It's not what, that's not what my ministry is going to be like. And Jesus chooses this place in Matthew to be the first place he gives himself, he uses of himself his favorite nickname for himself, Son of Man. That's Jesus' favorite nickname for himself. And it's, I think it's, it's cool that he chooses this point, to use that first when he's talking to a scribe son of man back in in hebrew which wasn't jesus's language it's the language of the old testament was a was sort of a colloquialism a figure of speech no, another way of saying human being a son of man which is like a person and jesus that's his title for himself i'm i'm a human but it's more than that when jesus called himself the son of man he was calling himself uh, by the name of a character that appears in the book of daniel in a vision to Daniel. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of this story. Daniel, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, he was given a couple of visions, or a few visions from God. And in a couple of those, God gives Daniel the the Cliff Notes version of all of human history from his day until the end of our world as we know it. And in both of those visions, at the end of history... Daniel has shown a picture, two different pictures of God taking back direct control over this earth that our sin has spoiled. First, it was a, a rock that comes to earth and, and it grows into a mountain. and That mountain becomes the kingdom of God on earth. The second time, Daniel sees someone who looks like a person get given by God, he's the Ancient of Days, control over the kingdoms of the earth. It reads like this, Daniel seven thirteen and 14. This is Daniel writing, trying to tell us about this vision. And he said, with the clouds of the sky, one like a son of man was approaching. And this son of man went up to the Ancient of Days, that's Almighty God. And he was escorted before God, and to the Son of Man was given ruling authority, honor, and sovereignty. All peoples, nations, and language groups were serving the Son of Man. His authority is eternal, and it will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Jesus, by calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus says, I'm that guy. Now, guess who knows Better than we knew until just now about the Son of Man. Scribes, that's who. And this scribe has been in a crowd seeing Jesus do miraculous things. He's casting out demons. He's touching people and healing them. He's healing people from a distance. He's probably heard him teach in the Sermon of the Mount. And maybe he's thinking, I better get on board with this guy. It's good for a guy to follow Jesus. But Jesus says, hold the phone. If you're going to follow me just because you think it'll be good for you to be in my crew, I want you to know something. I am the Son of Man. But I'm not going to act so much like it yet. Following me is going to mean not knowing where you sleep tonight. Following me is going to mean I don't know where I'm eating or what I'm eating tomorrow. I'm going to be led by the Spirit and trust the Father that He'll provide for me. I'm not going to be turning rocks into bread. All right, that's the first guy. I'll tell you what we learned from that in a bit. After him, another man comes up who has uh, he's been following Jesus around probably since the Sermon on the Mount, and and, uh, he says, "Lord." I want to follow you too, but first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus, I see that you're powerful. I see that you're Lord. I really want to follow you. Just not yet. There's some really important stuff I've got to do first. Now, before I tell you about Jesus' reply, which just seems really rude, I do want to tell you this. Um... This man is not in the period of time, well, we've got, we've got an example right now. The Larrabee family is in that period of time, we all know, where Bill Larrabee died last week. His funeral is not until tomorrow, right? And so he has died, but he has not been buried. That's not where this guy is at, okay? That's what it can sound like to us because of our culture. In their culture, someone was buried right away. Right? It's not like there's an embalming time waiting for the family to fly in from the coast. Right, They buried him right away and the funeral went after that. So that this guy comes and says, let me wait, that my father's not buried, necessarily means he's not dead either. Probably this is something more like this. You know, Jesus, I would really like to sign up and go where you would lead me. But my dad's kind of getting up there. And, you know, I got the farm or the business needs to take care of the estate, and it's just not a real good time for me, right? I do want to follow, though, don't get me wrong. I just need a little more time. You know, when my kids are finally potty trained, I'll have more time. When my kids graduate, it'll be more convenient. I'll have more time. Now, even though I explain, this guy is not, it's not between the death and the funeral, Jesus' uh, response is uh, not a lot easier to swallow, really. This is one of those that you're almost like, sorry, it's in the Bible, like, ooh, I wish he hadn't have said that. Here's what he says, follow me, there's the invitation, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. Ouch. I got to admit to you, I'm not even sure what Jesus means. And there's some uh, teachers that I respect say Jesus is saying people who aren't born again, the spiritually dead, let them deal with that stuff. But you know, that's not who... I, I just I'm not sure what he means except I know his greater point. His greater point is put following me first. Let that be the most important thing. Everything else will fall into place. Here's what I know Jesus isn't saying. Follow me... And then you can be mean to everybody else, like your family. (laughs) Oh, if you follow Jesus, he'll make you better in your other relationships. Do you know that? If you really follow Jesus, put him first, you'll be a better spouse, you'll be a better parent, you'll be a better kid, you'll be a better employee, you'll be a better boss, you'll be a better teammate, whatever. But Jesus is making clear, if you're going to call yourself a follower of me, that's got to be the number one thing. Now, as Sam read those, do those two responses from Jesus seem a little too harsh? Maybe. I want to share with you what I think three major lessons for us today, the Lord would have for us today, based on these two little stories of these two guys, these would-be disciples who step out of the crowd and say, I want to sign up. Uh, and Jesus is so, so frank with them in this way. Three lessons. The first one, I think Jesus is teaching us today this. Following Jesus will involve doing things that require big faith. Following Jesus necessarily involves doing things that would be too scary for me to do unless I'm doing it because I'm following Jesus. They take faith to do. When Jesus tells the first guy, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. I'm like, you can come, but I will not be using my considerable power to take care of our personal comfort. We are walking by faith in this ministry. Following me will require you to have faith like that. Now, what does that mean for you or me? Is Jesus going to ask you to be itinerantly homeless like he was asking this guy? I don't know. Probably not. I would say probably not. But I do know this. If you follow Jesus, if you seek his will, Lord, what do you want from me in this situation, in this day, at this time? If you follow Jesus, he will ask you to do things that take a lot of faith to do. He might ask you to do things financially that you think aren't smart financially. Like financial generosity sometimes takes faith. I'm going to do this not because I think it's financially smart, because I think this is what you would, would want me to do. I know he'll ask you to do this. If you follow him long enough, he will ask you to forgive people who have hurt you, who were dead wrong, and whom you don't feel like deserve to be forgiven. That will happen. He will ask you not to hold a grudge, he'll ask you not to hold something over that person so that you can use that to punish them in the future. He already told us that in the Sermon on the Mount. He'll ask you not to retaliate. He'll ask you to pray for your enemies. He'll ask you to get rid of hate in your heart. If you follow Jesus long enough, he will ask you, he will lead you to have conversations that are uncomfortable and scary. They might be accountability type conversations. Where you're trying to sharpen a fellow believer. They might be biblical confrontation. They might be, um, I want to share my faith. I need to tell them. I feel like the Lord wants me to tell this person about him. Conversations that make your palms sweat and your heart beat fast. I don't know how he will do it for you or what he will do next. But Jesus is letting us know today if you follow me, I will be asking you to do things that just take. Faith. Things that make me go, oh God, I would never do this. and I really don't want to do this. But I think you are asking me to do this. And because I believe in you, I'm just going to trust you on this one and I'm going to do this thing that is scary that I would never do. Man steps out of the crowd and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, do you mean it? Because if you follow me, I'm going to ask you to do stuff that will take big faith. That's lesson one. Lesson two is kind of the same lesson only looked at from the opposite direction. And that's this. Personal comfort is often a barrier to following Jesus. Personal comfort is often a barrier to following Jesus. This just makes logical sense. If Jesus will ask us to step out on faith and do scary things, then it's it's necessarily true that when we put our comfort ahead of his will, that's going to be a barrier to following him at times. It's important to recognize this. Jesus wanted both of these guys to know there'll be some discomfort in following him. Personal discomfort comes with following Jesus. If you're never uncomfortable, I'm not saying that Jesus wants your life to be a constant ball of anxiety. He doesn't. He didn't come to give us anxiety and give it to the fullest. That's not what he came for. He came to give us joy and hope and peace. Peace and life to the full. But if you are never uncomfortable for Him, are you really following Him? And that's a really good question. If you're never uncomfortable for Him, are you following Him? If you're never in a conversation... Where you have anxiety that I wouldn't do this except I'm following him. If you never have a financial decision, if you never cut this out of my life to make room for that, if I never stop this, change this just because I think it's what you want me to do, if you never have that kind of discomfort, are you following the guy that told these guys these things on this day? See, it's much easier to just for me to make my own decisions and just like do what I want and figure out the reasons why later, why I can convince myself that Jesus is okay with what I am doing. But that's not following Jesus. That's pretending Jesus is following you. In a couple of chapters, some of these guys, the guys that get in the boat with Jesus here in in next week's passage, Jesus is going to send them out. Here's what he's going to tell them. How comfortable does this sound? From chapter 10. I am sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. Who's going to sign up for that? But does that sound comfortable? Is that a, is that a metaphor of comfort? And in, in the same passage, you'll say, beware of people. They'll hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings because of me. Because I want you to be a witness to them and to the Gentiles. It's going to be uncomfortable if you follow me. I don't think it's changed that much. Here's what I want Christianity to be like. Okay? Here's what I wish Christianity was I do what I want, I live my life, I take care of my family, take care of whatever business I have, try to make as much money as I can, try to have as much fun as I can and I just try to be good while I'm doing it. That's not following Jesus. That's being the Lord of your own life and trying to be moral. Jesus wants these two guys that step out of that crowd to know, and Matthew wrote it down, and the Lord preserved it so that we would know. Jesus has no interest in being merely your advisor, merely your counselor, certainly not your wingman, and Jesus does not want to be your spiritual custodian. This is a personal example because I've treated him like this. Do my stuff, live my life. Oh, I recognize sometimes I sin. So I leave Jesus in the custodial closet till I realize I've sinned. And then I then I confess and Jesus runs out of his custodial closet, cleans up my sin and then runs back in the custodial closet till I need him next time. Anybody? Jesus doesn't want to be my janitor. He wants to be my Lord. That's what he wanted these two men to know before they signed up. And when he calls the shots, things will get uncomfortable at times. And he will ask me to to set aside my personal comfort to do scary things that take faith. Which brings me to personal lesson number three. You ever see these circle pictures? There's supposed to be a diagram. The, the top one is you know, trying to, to live the way, for honest, we try to live a lot of times, where I, myself is still on the throne of my life, and I still like Jesus, and he's still, I still you know, want to be forgiven by Jesus, I believe, but I direct my own life. and, and uh, Jesus wants to be on the throne of my life. <laughs> That's the bottom picture. Following Jesus means giving Him control. Following Jesus means giving Him control. Control. If you'd be a follower of Jesus, he must be the number one thing, the top priority in your life because he's Lord, not custodian. We can't be like the second man in this passage. He says, Lord, I want to follow you, but I'll follow you maybe as long as I don't have to. And I'll follow you as long as it doesn't mean I'll follow you as long as you don't touch. I can't give up this relationship. I can't stop doing that. You have to stay out of my finances, stay out of my sex life. I don't want to talk to you about, you know, this going on in my job or, you know, my whatever. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. First, and then I'll direct your relationship even with your dying daddy. But I need to come first if you're signing up for this gig. Jesus didn't sugarcoat stuff very much, did he? It's a tough lesson. I mean, it's tough to hear. I realize I am hitting this kind of hard, but listen, what, what you decide to do isn't always what Jesus would have you do, right? If, if, just think about this logically. If he's perfect and you're not, that will work its way out practically from time to time, right? Right? I mean, you're not batting a thousand in your decisions in life, and like he always agrees with you. I mean, that—that's when, when, when you say it that way, that sounds a little silly, right? Like, every, you know, like all the decisions I've made in the last month, let me tell you why God's okay with all of them. Like, really? Like, wow, like, you are good at this. Like, I don't know how to break this to you gently. God won't always agree with you. And if Jesus is going to be Lord, he might send you into conversations and situations and things that, that are uncomfortable and difficult and scary. I think we should expect that. But, but, but. No, there was only three buts. There was not a fourth one, whoever that is over there. I do want you to hear this, whatever Jesus asks you to give up is nothing in comparison to what he gives in return. Whatever Jesus asks you to change, whatever scary thing he asks you to endure, it will always be reciprocated with something bigger, better, greater, more permanent, eternal. What Jesus asks us to give up is nothing in comparison to what he gives in return. If we view Jesus as a means to gain what we've always wanted, we're going to be really disappointed. Jesus wanted these two guys to know uh, in this passage this morning, I'm going to ask you to give up stuff you've always wanted. I'm going to to ask you to stop stuff you like. And I'm going to ask you to start stuff you don't like. But don't separate this story from the larger Jesus story. He will always give more than he takes. Always. I'll just tell you, I've told this story a hundred times. I'm going to tell it again. i tell you the way we've lived this. When Rachel and I first started deciding, you know what, we're going to actually like follow Jesus we're gonna let him call the shots in our life for a change and it was a radical change he made very clear to me but if I was if you were following me Maxwell you wouldn't be in this job that you love teaching coaching I was gonna do it forever I mean not forever but you know what I mean you wouldn't be doing this job you'd give up that life um, Rachel, ever since I married her and took her off the farm, she's been trying to get back to one. <laughs> she's always wanted to live in the country. By the time I stopped being a chicken to tell her and to tell her, hey, I really think we're supposed to go do something else, we already had put interest money down on her dream farm. I still miss that thousand um, dollars. No, not really. Um, man's out in the country what 40 some acres more turkey than you shake a stick at it was going to be awesome and Jesus said Maxwell if you are following me you know you won't live there you know you'll be doing something else and I know this is scary and I know this is uncomfortable and I know it's not what you planned but will you do it I believe that Jesus will give me give us something eternally for, for making that decision. But listen, it starts here. Jesus gives more than what he asks now. Because what he gave us for leaving our old life. And, don't, and, and please don't misunderstand that wasn't without pain. There are there are people we love dearly in Smith Center, Kansas, that we have never seen since. And we don't talk to. And some other ones that we still love very dearly and just we just don't have the relationship we used to have. But guess what Jesus replaced them with? You. And it it's better. It was scary and it was uncomfortable. I didn't want to do it. And it cost me $1,000. <laughs> but Jesus never asks us to give up more than he will give in return. Last thing before we close. If you've got your Bible open, look at, the, look at the end of this passage and answer this question for me. What did these two guys decide? First guy steps out and says, hey, I'll follow you wherever you'll go. Wherever you go. He said, well, will you really? Because I'm going to be homeless. Next guy. Hey, just, I, I'll follow you, just not, not, not yet, Jesus says, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. What did they decide? Is it in there? It's not. Matthew's a great storyteller. He's setting us up. If we're the first time reading this, I think we would we would get to the end of this and go, Hey, wait a minute, what what they say? I, I think our hearts should be wanting to tell these guys, Oh, get in the boat, go with them. Listen, be uncomfortable. It'll be worth it. I know how the story ends. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die for your sins. He's going to rise again. Don't miss out. Follow. I think Matthew wants us to have those thoughts. So maybe we'll say this. You're going to take your own advice? If you think it's worth it for those guys to not turn Jesus down, are are you in the boat? Are you following? Are you ever uncomfortable? Has it been worth it? If it has go tell somebody. It'll be more uncomfortable. I think we should take the advice we should give to those two men. We would I would beg those two guys. Go with them. Go with them. Don't miss this opportunity to follow Jesus. And then I think I should do a better job of taking my own advice. I should go with him. Let me ask us this morning, what are you what what are you missing? What are you missing in life? What joy, what love, what security, what blessing? What are you missing by not following? What are you missing? Because when comfort is more important than Christ, I don't know what it'll ask you to give up but I know he'll give you back much more than he ever takes. Amen? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the invitation. Follow me. And I thank you for reminding us again that uh, it's hard. It's hard to follow you, Lord. You knew that. That's why you told us this. That's good. So when it gets hard, we can know that we're not necessarily doing it wrong. Maybe we're doing it right. Lord, for for me, for my family, and and for my friends and family here, or somebody listening later, Lord, I, I just pray that you would bring us to a point where there's something uncomfortable soon, Lord, we can feel the, your tug on our heart that says this is it. This is that discomfort I wanted you to go after. Walk by faith. Take that chance. Follow me in this. God, that so we would we'd get in the boat with you and not be stuck on the shore holding on to something that felt comfortable. We would go with you to see what you might do with a life yielded to Christ. Make us people like that. Make us a church like that. To your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.